Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to a brand new series titled something you're probably doing right now, which is called Scroll. We're doing it all the time, and I just wanna just start off by saying the inspiration of this entire series is coming from a gentleman named, uh, let me get this right, Aza Raskin. Aza Raskin, I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. So this gentleman is so fascinating. Aza Raskin is a digital or technology entrepreneur. He's a technology entrepreneur super genius guy, very smart guy. He is actually the inventor of something called the infinite scroll, the infinite scroll. We do it every single day, probably dozens of times, not probably, we do it dozens of times a day. The infinite scroll is this, on and on and on and on. We keep on going and going, trying to reach the bottom, trying to find some source of entertainment, see what's new, refresh, 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 try to get to the top of what's new and exciting. So he is the inventor of the infinite scroll. You can look him up, Aza Raskin, super interesting guy because he invented the code for the infinite scroll and then he sold it to Facebook, to Google, to Instagram, to all these companies for them to, to use it in, in their platforms uh, and on their apps. And obviously it's a big hit. Now, Aza Raskin is a huge advocate about something called ethics of consumer technology. He started a nonprofit organization called the Center of Humane Technology. So he realized, actually, if you can look him up, you can Google him, it's kind of going against everything we're talking about here, but, but you can look him up. He regrets inventing the infinite scroll because he realized how we have just become enslaved to technology. And let me just put this disclaimer, I have nothing against social media. I love social media. I'm always on my phone just like you are, so I have nothing against that. But he regrets inventing it and, and because now it has consumed us, it has enslaved us. And now he is a huge advocate and gives talks all around the world and started a nonprofit organization on the subject of ethics of consumer technology, the ethics of consumer technology. Let's kind of break down the whole idea of scrolling. We use it to, to get away from reality, let's face it. Like either we're bored in line, uh, I hate to say it, and this should not be the case for us, we're at a red light, let me just pull out my phone, let me scroll away. Whatever the case might be, we're always trying to scroll to get away from the reality and where we're in. We're using it to mask the reality of this world. Put aside scrolling. We all do it, in, it to, to something. It's either, you know what, I don't wanna face the stress of what's going on in myself or in my family or, or in my career, whatever the case might be, let me just order something off of Amazon. Let me cover up this issue by, by buying whatever. Let me just binge on Netflix. Forget just one episode, let me do the entire season, right? Come on, let's face it, there's nothing better after a long day of work, an issue you might have, just sitting there, laying on the couch, and just kind of binge watching on Netflix or whatever the case might be. It's our way of getting away from reality. Some people use music, some people use drugs, some people use pornography, we're always trying to find a way to get away from reality. Some of those outlets are more toxic than others, but we can all agree the foundation of it is that we're trying to mask an emotion. We're trying to mask a reality. My daughter, for her to sleep, we have to turn on a machine, a white noise machine. That just makes white noise. Like that's all it is, just making some type of noise to cover up 
any noise that my wife and I will do downstairs for her to sleep, we have to turn on this sound machine at all times in order for her to sleep. It's masking the other noise that exists in the, in, in, in the house. This is not the case for babies. This is the case for us. We're putting on white noise, some noise around us to cover up an emotion, to cover up reality, to cover up pain, to cover up an issue, to cover up something I, like that just weighs me down every time I think about it. Let me cover it up by putting white noise. Or for a lot of us, let me just scroll. And this is true more than ever in this post-pandemic world caused by COVID-19. We're glued to screens more than ever before, and we're scrolling more than ever before. You would think I'm super silly if I did this. Not just long, not long ago, we had an issue in our garage with the water pump, and it was making this weird noise to try to heat up the water. Imagine that I ignored it and I just turned up the TV louder. Imagine I just turned up the music louder in the house to cover up the sound of this massive pump making this rattling sound in my house. That's dumb. If I try to cover it up, you would say, no, you need to get to the bottom of it. You need to find out what the issue is. But we do that with our own lives. You would think I'm dumb if I did that in my own house to cover up an issue that I'm hearing in my house, and I just raised the, the, the volume of what's going on in the house to cover up an issue with the water pump. But we do that in our lives. We're embracing or covering up or masking an emotion. Instead of us embracing an emotion to figure out why am I feeling this way or why, where is the stress coming from, we suppress it, we dismiss it, we push it down, and we just continue to mask any emotion, any stress, any anxiety, let me push it down by drugs, let me push it down by scrolling, let me push it down by seeing how many likes I got, let me push it down by seeing how everyone else's life is amazing except mine, right? We try to mask it, we try to cover up an emotion. The bottom line of this four-part series is us being emotionally healthy. Our, our emotional intelligence, however you want to look at it. For us to be emotionally healthy human beings. Emotions are a great part of life. It's an amazing part of life. But sometimes we don't know how to process emotions right and we try to cover it up. By many of us, we scroll. Here's the bottom line, just in case you want to turn this off or stop listening to this. Um, it's let us deal with our emotions before they deal with us. Let's deal with our emotions before they take control of us. Let's embrace the emotion before they cause toxicity or division between our relationships and our marriage, between our kids. Like instead of us having, we've all been there, where we've just, we just blurted out and we kind of just snapped out of anger, out of an emotion because we never knew how to deal with it appropriately. So if we know how to, to deal with our emotions in a healthy way and be vulnerable with ourselves and look inside ourselves, the better off we will be in our relationships, better off we'll be with ourselves, the better, better we will be in trying to, instead of us trying to mask or cover up an emotion by us potentially scrolling away on our phones. There's no doubt. The biggest way we mask an emotion or get away from reality is to, is to scroll on our phones. There was a survey done by careerbuilder.com this is fascinating. According to Career Builder from the survey, 75% of employees, 75% of employees spend at least two hours wasted on their phone. 75% of employees waste at least two hours of just scrolling away on their phone, not being productive or efficient in their workplace. And, and maybe for us, that seems like crazy, but I, 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 I bet you, if you look under settings and you look at how long your screen time is, we're around that number. 75% we're, we're, of us are wasting at least two hours in work. Now, I'm talking about when we get home and we're trying to unwind and we watch Netflix and just scroll away on all our social media platforms. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the work hours. We spend at least two hours 
just scrolling away, wasting time on our phones. We try to minimize time with screen time for our kids. And of course, time is changing right now because of COVID-19. We're trying to minimize screen time uh, as much as we can. I, I know that's more difficult than ever before, but let's face it. We all have family members where we're all together. You want to put a, a, a restriction or a boundary for them as far as screen time. We're all addicted to it. We're all scrolling away. I think before my kid could even do anything, she knew this. She knew how to, to zoom in. She knew how to swipe. She knew how to do all that. It's built into us and built into how we are. And it rewires our brain, it rewires our, our, our coping mechanism of emotions. We do not know how to be true to ourselves because we are scrolling away. I'm probably the last person to talk about this because I am a millennial myself. And in and the millennial generation, generation Z, generation X, all these, these recent uh, generations, we grew up with the internet. We grew up with a phone in our hand. We knew how to do this. This is more true for my daughter than for myself right now, but we are being consumed by scrolling, by scrolling, by masking, by masking, by masking reality more than ever before. Check out this video, this five minute video, for us to really understand like the impact and the power of scrolling in our lives. I can't stop looking at my phone, but I'm not alone. Over 2.5 billion people have smartphones now, and a lot of them are having a hard time putting them down. There's a new app that aims to curb phone addiction. Addiction is money. Are we a nation of smartphone addicts? The problem is, our devices are designed to keep us engaged. They're intentionally addicting. But if you understand the tricks that grab your attention, you can learn to have a healthier relationship with your phone. I think we're living inside of two billion Truman Shows. Where, you know, Truman Show, you, know, you wake up and everything is sort of coordinated just for you and you usually don't even realize it. But it's coordinating just to entertain you or just to engage you. That's Tristan Harris. He worked as Google's design ethicist, and now he runs a nonprofit initiative called Time Well Spent, advocating for awareness of how tech companies profit off of users' attention. It's not. It's not designed to help us, it's just designed to keep us hooked. So I handed him my phone yeah. and asked him how he'd fix it. It starts with turning off all notifications, except for when a real human is trying to reach you. When you get a call, a text, or a message, it's usually because another person wants to communicate with you. But a lot of today's apps simulate the feeling of that kind of social interaction to get you to spend more time on their platform. If Facebook sends you a push notification that a friend is interested in an event near you, they're essentially acting like a puppet master, leveraging your desire for social connections so that you use the app more. But notifications didn't always work like this. When push notifications were first introduced for email on Blackberries in 2003, they were actually seen as a way for you to check your phone less. You could easily see emails as they came in, so you didn't have to repeatedly open your phone to refresh an inbox. But today you can get notifications from any app on your phone. So every time you check it, you get this grab bag of notifications that can make you feel a broad variety of emotions. If it wasn't random, if it was predictably bad or predictably good, then you would not get addicted. The predictability would take out the addictiveness. That's the same logic behind slot machines. And it's effective. Slot machines make more money in the US than baseball, movies, and theme parks combined. And they become addicting about three to four times faster than other kinds of gambling. 
Some apps even replicate the process of pulling a slot machine lever with the pull to refresh feature. That's a conscious design choice. Those apps are usually capable of continuously updating content, but the pull action provides an addicting illusion of control over that process. In the future, we might see healthier ways of delivering notifications. Research shows that bundling notifications, where phones deliver a batch of updates at set times, reduces user stress. Then, you have to grayscale your screen. The easiest way to attract your eye's attention on a screen is through color. Human eyes are sensitive to warm colors. In eye-tracking tests like this one, they gravitate particularly to bright red. That's why so many apps have redesigned their icons to be brighter, bolder, and warmer over the years. It's also why notification bubbles are red. A little icon like this, or this, doesn't have the same impact on your attention as this. But you can neutralize that distracting effect by selecting a grayscale color filter in your phone's accessibility settings. When you make everything black and white, your brain isn't tricked into thinking this is any more important to you than this. I mean, there's a reason why slot machines are, you know, bright in color and have flashing lights and ding, 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 ding. And they have the sensory app, like input too, right? And so just noticing that if I take out the color, it changes the, uh, some of the addictiveness. Finally, restrict your home screen to everyday tools. Make sure that your home screen, when you unlock it, doesn't have anything except for the in-the-moment tools that help you like live your life. I have like Lyft to get somewhere when I need to get somewhere, Maps, Calendar. None of these are apps that I can fall into and then get sucked down some bottomless vortex of stuff. If you're not sure what counts as a bottomless vortex of stuff, it helps to filter out apps that use infinite scrolling. Unlike pagination, where users have to click to load new content on another page, infinite scrolling continuously loads new material, so there's no built-in endpoint. Video autoplay works in a similar way. These interfaces create a frictionless experience, but they also reduce a user's sense of control and make it harder to stop. Research shows that people rely on visual cues more than internal cues to stop consuming something. In a 2005 study, individuals who ate soup out of a self-refilling bowl ate 73% more than those who ate out of a normal bowl filled up by servers. But those who ate from the self-refilling bowls didn't feel any more satisfied. So a visual cue, like an endpoint, is better at telling you the right time to stop than your own sense of satisfaction. And because so many apps don't have an endpoint, you have to build your home screen around the eventuality of distraction. We check our phones a lot. Most of us drastically underestimate how often we do so. But technology might not always look this way. There are ideas for alternative interfaces that give you functional choices and are more transparent about how much time you'll lose with one action versus another. But it's a really deep philosophical question of what is genuinely worth your attention on an interrupted basis? Do people even know how to answer that question? It's a really hard question. It's not something we think about. But for now, it's a question that everybody needs to start asking. I think every single one of us can relate to that video. It's crazy, but it's the truth. So if we kind of break it down to bare bones, yeah, the phone is good, All the, like it's great for us to be connected, but for how it's designed, how it consumes us and pulls us in, it's distracting us from reality. It's distracting us. Let's just break down the etymology. The word distraction, okay, let's just start with elementary terms. Distraction equals lack of traction. Distraction, dis, the prefix, is I'm losing traction. Traction is when I'm focused, I have momentum, I'm moving in the same direction. All my energy, all my mental capacity is moving in this direction. That's traction, me moving in a direction. But then something pulls me. Maybe it's something more interesting, maybe I wanna get away from the, from the task at hand, uh, I wanna see what it is, whatever the case might be, and it pulls us away. So distraction is just a lack of traction. I'm intentionally wanting to, 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 to film 
or, or give the eight here in my office because one of my favorite verses and one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible and all of world history is about a leader, a Jewish leader by the name of Nehemiah. He was so focused and his heart was so heavy on doing one task to rebuild a city that when distraction came his way, when a notification came his way to try to pull him away, he said, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Like that, that's, it's hard to see because it's italics, but this, this is my, one of my favorite verses. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Like how true is that? Like there's notifications that are always coming to our phone, to our screen at all times. And we lose traction, we lose focus, and maybe a conversation face-to-face -face with somebody. We put the phone in front of us, we look at our watch, and it pulls us away, it distracts us. It pulls us away from reality of embracing, being present in the moment. Nehemiah understood those distractions, he put them aside, he says there's a time and place for me to have that conversation, but right now I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. One of my favorite stories from the story of, 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 the, of the Jewish leader named Nehemiah. You can check it out, it's in the Old Testament. None of us have a plan when it comes to distractions. We get it, we get it. We fall into the trap, we continue to scroll, we continue to refresh, we continue to check that phone whenever we get a new notification. But we don't have a plan when it comes to distractions. We know it's coming and, and they got us, they, as you can tell from that video. Uh, the, these platforms know how to pull us in by color, by notifying us, they know how to get us. But we don't have a plan to, 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 to put the distractions aside for us to stay focused. A super trendy and hip word these days is mindfulness, for us to be mindful. I have nothing against it, all right? I have nothing against it, but it, it's, it's great. We need to be more mindful. We need to practice mindfulness. We need to practice meditation. I'm all for it, that's great. Sounds hippie, it's nice, let's do it. Let's just break down, let's go with the definition of mindfulness. This is how the world will define mindfulness. A mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment, while calming, acknowledging, and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations, used as a therapeutic technique. Beautiful. For us to be present at the moment, mindfulness is this, this broad practice for us to be centered and for it to be one myself. I, I, I'm all for it, I'm all for it. It can be relative. It can be relative and it can pull me in different directions. I could be mindful on for me to, to, to not like this person or to dismiss this person. I could be mindful of not being in, in, in connection with reality. I can be mindful on that. So it's very broad. I know I'm being extreme, but it's broad, it's relative. It can evolve the definition of mindfulness. Mindfulness is great, but the reality, the fullness of life is that mindfulness is only a precursor. Practicing meditation, practicing mindfulness, for me to, to have that virtue is only a precursor to the fullness of life. Our mission statement here at St. Mark Church is as simple as this. We exist to connect people to the fullness of life. Great, that sounds so wonderful. I wanna be connected to the fullness of life. What does that mean? Is that my definition of what's the fullness of life for me to be made whole? What is that? The fullness of life is found in the person of Jesus Christ following the ancient faith of the Orthodox Church. Our mission here at St. Mark Church, our mission here at the Eight, is for us to find the fullness of life, not our own definition, but the one who is the embodiment of humanity and divinity, the one who has come to restore us, to make the one who has, made, who has come and invited us to be made whole in Him. 
Like th this is mindfulness for, uh, for my eyes to be locked in on him. This is where I can find life. This is where I can find wholeness. This is, this is the epitome or completion of mindfulness. We have four simple records of Jesus's life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all four different, unique, diverse authors describing and articulating in, in, in their own style their encounter or their record of Jesus's life. One of them is, is from a very wealthy tax collector by the name of St. Matthew. And he was the first eyewitness that experienced the life of Jesus. And this is, and he recorded one of Jesus' most popular uh, sermons or speeches that he ever gave, which many historians will, ca will call um, him talking on the mount, or they, they would label it being called the Beatitudes. The sermon or the speech that Jesus gave, is, is many historians have labeled it being called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, just so we can break down, the word Beatitudes means a state or declaration of happiness. Beautiful. For us to hear from Jesus, a, a declaration of happiness, who would want to be happy? Let's see what the, the one who is the embodiment of divinity and humanity and one, what does he say about the state of happiness? He says, obviously, a series of things, but I want to, 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 to point this out when he says in the fifth chapter that, that, that St. Mark records in the fifth chapter um, on, this, on, this, on this sermon that he gave. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You and I want a glimpse of the divine. You and I want to see God. Now, Jesus, who is God in a bod, says to see God, I have to be pure in heart. To remove the noise, to remove the distractions, for me to have traction, for me to move toward him in stillness, in silence, for me to have that purity of heart, to remove all that gunk, all that bitterness, all that anger, all that jealousy, for me to remove all that, that purity of heart at my core, this will allow me to see the reflection in the beauty of my heavenly Father. We hate silence. We hate to have that purity. Isn't it easier? Isn't it more tempting to cover it up with noise? Jesus continues. St. Matthew records this in the fifth chapter and it continues into the sixth chapter where, where Jesus continues to say, blessed are X, Y, Z. Blessed actually just means happy. So Jesus says, happy are the pure in heart. Happy are those who pursue purity of their core. Why? For they will see God. They will see the divine in their lives. Blessed or happy are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Jesus continues on this piece. So he's going from happy are those who do X, Y, and Z. He continues, happy are those who do this and this and this and this and this. Then he continues. Then he's pulling from, 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 from framing his sermon from that sense, and then he goes further. And then we pull into the this, this sixth chapter. Jesus says this. When you pray, when you pray, when you want to practice mindfulness, when you, when you want to practice stillness, when you want to kind of remove all the distractions, Jesus now is pulling them toward the inner life. He says, when you pray, go into your room. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Like for me to have the stillness, to remove those distractions, for me to have traction in life, yeah, I need to kind of like get away from the noise. I need to go into my room. We get this. The setting, the ambiance of a place says everything, right? Think about the most fanciest restaurants. The, the setting, the atmosphere, the lights or lack of lights make is, is what makes the setting, right? There's a difference between me having dinner, just something quickly in my car or going to a fancy restaurant. The setting is what it, it allows me to be focused. Like it, it, we get this in every aspect of life. So Jesus is saying is now pushing, pushing the audience to focus on the inner life to practice on stillness, to practice on, on embracing the distractions or noise in our life. He says, when you pray, go into your room. Great, Jesus, love it. Close the door. So he's, he's adding more emphasis, he's adding more detail. He's, he's putting another exclamation point behind the idea of going into your room. Close the door. It, it, it's not the, the focus is not the literal. It's like, I only can pray, I only can meditate if the door is closed or locked. No, it's not, it's not about that. But, I, but, the, but Jesus is wanting me to have stillness, for me to close the door, to really remove any distractions. For me being tempted to pull out my phone, me tempted to scroll, me to look at that, that notification, to, to check my pocket for the vibration. He's wanting me to put that aside. When you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray. Okay, great. Pray, mindfulness, be one myself. I get it. What am I praying to? Jesus says, pray to your Father. Our prayer is not theoretical. Our prayer is not just some, 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 some nice spiritual thing. It is praying to a relationship, praying for a relationship, investing into our eternal dad. How beautiful is that? We're not praying to something theoretical or ethereal. We're praying to the reality, to the divine himself, to our Father. Jesus makes it a, a, a clear point for us to pray to our heavenly Father. It is a relationship. It is a reality. When you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. He states the obvious, that when we're praying to God, when we're praying to our heavenly Father, like Jesus just doesn't just use the word God. He says, when you're praying to your heavenly Father, he is unseen. So you have to focus on the inner life. We have to focus, like there has to be a time where I, 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 I turn off the noise, turn off all the white noise, turn off the, the, the scrolling, put, put all that aside. And for me to be one, for me to be still, we hate that. We hate silence, we hate stillness. But he's saying, if you want to see God, there has to be purity in heart. But when you pray, there has to be closing the door. There has to be a, a, a setting for that to happen. This is where the unseen, can become seen. This is where the unseen of my heavenly Father can become reality, can become tangible, can become applicable, can become personal, can become intimate in my life, if that is my pursuit. Not just surrounding myself with scrolling and noise. Jesus is pushing us toward the inner life. You know what's our interpretation of that verse? This is how you and I practice this verse on a day-to-day -day basis, all right? I'm talking about me first and foremost. When you pray, say a 3.5 second prayer and then remember everything that you have to do and pull out your phone. We get it. The second that we say, you know, I need to practice stillness. I need to kind of just silence things. I need to connect with my heavenly dad. For me to just put that, that's, oh, I need to make sure I do this. I need to make sure I text this person. I make sure to pick up that. I need to make sure I do this for the kids. We're always thinking. So the reality is the second we do it, 3.5 seconds later, we remember that everything we have to do, we're tempted. It's hard for us to build that muscle of stillness, for us to find silence. It's hard for us to embrace this. 
What we just read, the Beatitudes, like the church is wanting to hold our hand to remind us of that reality in our personal prayer. Like the Igbeya is an ancient prayer book. And every sixth hour in the midday, the church is encouraging us and cheers us on and says, remind you of, of the declaration of happiness that came from the embodiment of the divine and humanity in one. Remind yourself that happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And for us to pray, when I pray, I need to find stillness. I need to find silence. It's not just about doing it, but I need to find silence, stillness, and, and, and put away the distractions that pull me away from being attracted and moving toward God. An integral part, not only to personal prayer in the first century church, but to communal prayer, is the language of thankfulness or being grateful. A tradition in the Coptic Orthodox Church, almost every liturgical service Every personal prayer that the church guides us through, that the church reminds us or cheers us on or motivates us to pray the prayer of thanksgiving. It's easy. It's easy for us to be pulled aside and says, what's next? What do I got to do next? I, I, uh, that, that's our mind. We wake up, check our email. What's the next thing? What, what, what do we got to do next? It's, it's, it's bad. But we're always on the go. The church says, hey, pause. And the church encourages us to pray these words. Let us, your children, let us that are so sidetracked, let us give thanks not to a God, but to Father. Not just Father, but to the Beneficent. Let us give thanks to the Beneficent God, the Father of our Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why should I give thanks? Why is he Beneficent? For he has covered me, he has helped me, he has supported me, he has accepted me, and has brought me to this hour. The church is wanting us to be present in the reality now. Not to be enslaved by, by the past, not to me think of what's next, what I gotta do, but for me to embrace the reality that I am accepted and loved Right now, for God the Father, the Beneficent, has accepted me. It's easier said than done. We just want to pull out our phone. We want to scroll. We just want to move on with life. But the church says, pause everything, be still, and, and be present in the moment, moment. Because you are accepted in this hour by the love of God, your Father. The opening question from that video you watched about technology, about the power of our phone, power of scrolling. What is genuinely worth your attention? What is genuinely worth your attention? What's worth your time? I feel if we begin with that question, then we can have clarity on the distractions of the scrolling that pull us away from reality that we use to mask emotions. But if we center ourselves to pray genuinely, to find stillness, for us to have purity in heart, for us to be present in the moment, for us to connect ourselves not with just mindfulness, not just a beautiful spiritual exercise, but for us to, to use mindfulness as a precursor for us to find the fullness of life found in Jesus and to pursue Jesus in the most organic, fullest version 
of Christianity in the first century church, if we tap ourselves into that reality for us to be present, for us to minimize the scrolling that just pulls us away from life, but if we can center ourselves with the one who is the source of life, this is where we can find life. This is where we can be more emotionally healthy in our lives, have better relationships, be better at life, and know where we come from, who we are, and whose we are. Let us bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we are all distracted. We all want to get away from, from pain, from an anxiety, from an issue, from a relationship. We want to mask it. We want to cover up that emotion that just pulls us down. But Lord, if we can have the courage and strength to embrace that, to own it, then, then when we embrace that emotion, we can present that back to you. Then we're able to be vulnerable with ourselves, able to have purity of heart. We are able to see you. We can practice the virtue of us being present in this hour because, Lord, you love us. You accept us for who we are. Lord, I pray that the following weeks as we kind of go through this series, that it makes me think twice about how I just sit on my phone or for just me scrolling away. What am I trying to hide away from? And what is genuinely worth my attention? Through the prayers of your sins, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.